everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Hey everyone, good morning! Before we get started today, um, let's have a moment of silence. A lot of you have heard about what's been happening with Ukraine and Russia and every other country surrounding those. Um, I have a friend, um, her name's Irna. She lives in Nebraska and she has family um, in Ukraine. She's from Ukraine. And I've been watching her posts and just looking at the updates. And she posted a picture last night of um, citizens of Poland waiting at the border and just waiting to accept all of the refugees with food, water, opening up their homes for them. And I think it's just so incredible that in a time of just pure chaos and tragedy that there is still hope and there are still people that love each other and are willing to help in whatever means necessary. And I think that's incredible. So let's have a moment of silence now. Father, I pray for what's going on outside of our borders. I pray for the people of Ukraine, the people of Romania, Poland, and Russia. And I pray for the victims and the perpetrators. God, I pray that we would experience your hope, that our friends um, across the world would experience your hope and your grace and your love today. May we find your peace in the hardest of situations. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey guys, it's good to see you today. My name's Emily and I'm a pastor here. And you know what? It's very good to see you today. And you wanna know why? Because it's a brand new day. It's a new day with new opportunities, with new mercies for you and for me, with new mercies from God. And you know, when God created the world, he called it good. When he created you and I, humanity as a whole, he rested. He found completeness in what he had in mind. And he called us very good. So even if you're not feeling that way today, I want to invite you to take a breath with me and hear the words that I'm saying to you from God. You are very good. I think that that is stinking incredible. It's grounding for me, really. And I'm not very often, um, I don't witness this, where people will just come up out of the blue and just tell you something like that. Like, hey, imagine a stranger in the street saying, hey, you're really good. Um, they'll compliment you on your clothes or your outfit, whatever. But you as a person, like, that's pretty incredible. And that's how I like to live out every single day. I wake up in the morning and I breathe that in and I breathe that out. And I thank God that a very good God would see me as very good. I picture God doing that with you as well, being all giddy for the new day and saying to each and every one of us, whether you want to talk to him or not, hey, what are we gonna do today? I want to invite you to this party of mine called living because I think that you're the bee's knees and I created you to live with me. I don't think bees actually have knees, by the way. <laughs> I 
I think that God is telling each and every one of us, you are so very good. Come hang out with me. What a cool thing to experience. Sometimes when I'm at church, I'm gonna be super honest. I'm not very good at lying. So if I lie, you can just see my face turn red. So I'm just gonna be honest. That's just how I'm gonna live my life, right? When I'm at church on a Sunday morning or when I watch church online, it can feel like a chore or a checklist of things to do. Does anyone feel that way sometimes? Man, thanks for the honesty. I appreciate it. What if, question for you, what if we could reframe our time here together today for ourselves? If you're in a place today where church feels like a chore, or if you're experiencing a time in life where anything and everything feels like a chore, what if you and I could reframe the effects that come out of our presence in this building or your decision to click online on any church service today? What if by making this conscious effort to take yourself, maybe the people in your house, picking up a neighbor or friend along the way, sitting on your couch or in your bed or in these chairs right here, what if instead of seeing it as being at church or going to church or watching church, you're actually being with God and with other people. I think that's the way that God sees it. I didn't picture church to be this way recently. I've been in church my whole entire life. And I'm so grateful that this is now how I understand church. Because now when I have this reframe in my mind, when I'm in this building, when I'm talking to people, I experience a lot less anxiety regarding if I'm worshiping God the right way or if I'm doing something that someone else doesn't like. When I'm in this mindset of being with God and being with others, I have zero expectations outside of seeing God, myself, and others as good, as very good. I hope that some of you benefit from that because I did. So we're gonna do a little practice session, okay? To ingrain this into our minds this morning, will you find somebody who's sitting close to you? Will you look them in their eyes and tell them you are very good? And if you're at home you, and you're on your own, you tell yourself that. Everybody understand the directions? Okay, ready, set, go. You are very good. How did that feel? Like the most awkward thing ever, or did it feel okay? <laughs> All right, keep that in mind for our time together today. We have begun a new series that talks about parties and festivals in the Old Testament. How many of you, when you hear the word Old Testament, do you picture a party? Like a disco ball and everything. Yeah, right? There are not many instances where I feel that the Old Testament is a big, huge party, but this series is so cool because it's been reframing my mind as well. So today, we're going to talk about the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Yes, I'm so excited for it. It'll be so, so great. And keep in mind, sometimes parties are not super um, happy-go-lucky, right? Sometimes parties can be a memorial service. Sometimes it can be a celebration, right? We're talking about the celebration, the festival of unleavened bread today. And it requires some context, okay? 
we have the Hebrew people. They are currently in Egypt because they have been enslaved by this world power called Egypt, right? Um, there have been Hebrew people that have been in charge of things in Egypt. If you look at the story of Joseph, if you've ever heard of Joseph in the unicolored, multicolored coat, whatever that musical is, you can look that up as well. This is after that happens, okay? We are going to be in the book of the Bible. It's called Exodus, um, and it's chapter 1, 8, for, 8 through 15. Ready to read? Okay, let's do it. It says, a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph, the technicolor, multicolor coat guy. He spoke to his people with alarm and he said, hey, there are way too many of these Israelites for us to handle. We've got to do something, so let's devise a plan to contain them. Lest if there's a war that they should join our enemies or just walk off and leave us. So they organized them into work gangs and put them to hard labor under gang foremen. They built the storage cities Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the harder the Egyptians worked them, the more children the Israelites had. Children everywhere! Wow, isn't that crazy? The more people you have, the more children you get. Not crazy, right? It just makes sense. I understand. And then it says the Egyptians got so they couldn't stand the Israelites and treated them worse than ever, crushing them with slave labor. They made them miserable with hard labor, making bricks and mortar and backbreaking work in the fields. They piled on the work, crushing them under the cruel workload. The king of Egypt had a talk with the two Hebrew midwives. Midwife is someone who helps people give birth. One was named Shifra and the other Pua. He said, midwives, when you deliver the, he the Hebrew women, look at the sex of the baby. If it's a boy, kill him. And if it's a girl, let her live. That's a whole lot of stuff in there, right? So this new Pharaoh, he is intimidated by the Hebrew people and he doesn't want them to either leave them and take all of their labor workforce with them. He doesn't want to be overthrown by the Hebrew people and he doesn't actually want them there except unless it's for his benefit. So he, he tells everybody, he says, hey, with all these babies that these people are making, you need to make sure that only the girls live so they can't repopulate. Let's sum up the life in Egypt for these Hebrew people. We've got 400 years plus or minus a few of enslavement for the Hebrew people in Egypt. And then Hebrew people make babies, populate more Hebrew people. Then Pharaoh makes a death order for all Hebrew firstborn males. You know what's really cool about this story? If you read, this is an Exodus, okay? So you can read whenever you want. These Hebrew midwives are awesome because they fake it so the babies can make it. They're like, oh, these women are too fast and these babies already gave birth so we couldn't stop it. They actually helped them so they didn't kill the babies. Then Pharaoh kind of catches on to the um, death order and says, okay, now every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile River. So he's taking more control of it and he actually wants to start a war against these people. Now, I asked this question, why did Pharaoh decide to do this? Kind of a terrible thing to do, very unethical. Um, it's a power struggle, right? Egypt wanted a lot of Hebrews to work, but not a lot of Hebrews. 
so that they could revolt. Egypt at this time was growing as a world power and they wanted to make sure that they stayed that way. They wanted to ensure that the Hebrew people had no chance of catching up to them. And now I wanna say that it's hard for many of us to understand the emotional gravity of slavery. There is a depth of deep hurt and deep pain and loss that comes from being taken from your homes, brought to a powerful empire, and forced into a lifestyle that you have no choice in living. But the story of God bringing his people out of this mess is incredible. And it has way more amazing details than what I'm able to share this morning. If you're interested, Google it. Read it in the Bible. It's in the book of Exodus. So God sees that there's a problem, right? He finds this guy named Moses, and he says, hey, I want you to help me free my people. So Moses approaches Pharaoh, and he says, hey, Pharaoh, um, you're all about worshiping gods and being really religious, right? Will you let all of us Hebrew people go away for a weekend so that we can sacrifice and worship God? I think it's a great plan, because they were gonna skedaddle out of there after this three-day weekend, right? They were trying to um, get out. And Pharaoh caught on and he said no. They kept asking and kept asking and he kept saying no. So God decides to intervene. I wanna emphasize that a lot of these things that happen in the next few chapters, they're for the people of Israel but they're also for God to show his power to Egypt plagues start to happen. You might have heard this or seen this if you've watched The Prince of Egypt, like the best soundtrack ever. So good. Um, they serve as an assault to the powers of Egypt and the gods that are worshipped there. One of the first plagues is that blood is turned, um, wa the water is turned to blood in one of the rivers nearby. I think that this is really important because God remembers all of these Hebrew babies that were thrown into the Nile River. God remembers all of these babies that Pharaoh ordered the midwives to kill. And God serves this plague as a memorial. I think that's so cool that the God of the universe would use this to remember and have empathy for his people. Although the Egyptians, they had to have realized what was going on, Pharaoh wasn't budging. God was sending like frogs and a bunch of things. He was... It was just a bad time in Egypt at that moment. God gave Pharaoh multiple chances to pick his side, to say, hey, I know that you are powerful and I know that you have these gods that you can worship, but I am better and I am good and I see you as very good and I want you to come on my side. There was something along the way that clicked in Pharaoh's mind, I think, when he recognized the decision he had to make. It was either God or him. So he dug his heels in, and the God of empathy, he had lost Pharaoh's heart. So fast forward from all the plagues, we have the last plague below. It's what we're gonna talk about. So for all of the Egyptians, there was going to be a tragic night ahead. For the last plague to free his people from Egypt, the last push for Pharaoh to let his slaves go, it was the worst of all of them. God says in Exodus 12, I will go through the land of Egypt on this night and strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, whether human or animal, and bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, because I am God. 
This blood will serve as a sign on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no disaster will touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. It's kind of a tall order, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of death going on. And if you read this and you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that God would do something like this. I can't worship a God who murders people. And I agree. I think that's a very important question to wrestle down to the ground. But I want to ask you if you could remember the first plague that happened when God turned the river into blood. He was actually memorializing all of the people who were lost. So there's something to be said with that. He says again, he says, this will be a memorial day for you. You will celebrate this day as a festival to God down through the generations. It's a fixed festival celebration to be observed always. You will eat unraised bread, which is unleavened bread, for seven days. On the first day, get rid of all yeast from your houses. Anyone who eats anything from yeast from the first day to the seventh will be cut off from Israel. The first and the seventh days are set aside as holy. Do not work on those days. Only what you have to do for meals, each person can do that. He says again, keep the festival of unraised bread. This marks the exact day that I brought you out in force from the land of Egypt. Honor the day down through your generations, a fixed festival to be observed always. In the first month, beginning on the 14th day at evening until the 21st day at evening. I did some math here. That's 21 minus 14. That's seven days. That's a whole week. Good job, Em. (laughs) You are to eat unraised bread. For those seven days, not a trace of yeast is to be found in your houses. Anyone, whether a visitor or a native of the land, who eats anything raised shall be cut off from the community of Israel. Don't eat anything raised only matzoth, which is unleavened bread. There's a lot of don't eat anything raised kind of thing, huh? And I wonder what would make that happen. So when the, the plague of the firstborn happened, um, the Israelites had a really short time to get out of there because Pharaoh was mad. Pharaoh actually had a firstborn son and his son was killed in the process. So he was very angry. He said, okay, Um, you can go and I never want to see you again. But his brain turned on and he realized I lost all of my people. So he brought his army of Egyptians to chase after them and he was going to avenge his son for sure. So um, unleavened bread, okay, it looks like this. I tried my very best to make it. There's a lot of flour on this stand. (laughs) Unleavened bread, it's made of flour and water. It is... Nothing other than that, really. And it takes like three minutes to cook if you have an oven for 475. Um, I don't think that the Hebrew people had something like that, but anything without yeast takes a lot less time to bake than anything with yeast. That's kind of like a general baking thing, right? Yeah? Yeah, so... (laughs) Yes. Um, So this is why um, God says, hey... Don't make anything with yeast in it because I want you to remember what happened that night. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, they had to grab up all their stuff and get the heck out of Dodge because they had an army of Egyptians waiting for them and they needed sustenance. They needed something to eat. Flour and water, unleavened bread. So what happened next? 
running starts, I want to take a second to imagine this with you. What would you do in this situation? If you were enslaved in a country that you knew not a ton about, that you didn't have many friends, only your family and your community around you, and you were told by the God of the universe to get out, and you didn't have very much time, what would you do? I don't know either. It was a tragic bloodbath of the firstborn. Um, there's a lot more story to go with this. If you look in Exodus, there's a lot of things where God parts a sea open to let the Israelites walk through, and he closes it because the Egyptian army is coming. There's a lot of things that God did that night that lead to this festival of unleavened bread. In Exodus 13, he says, God spoke to Moses saying, set apart every firstborn to me, the first one to come from the womb among the Israelites, whether person or animal is mine. So interesting because this is the exact same thing that God took from the Egyptians. Moses said to the people, always remember this day. This is the day when you came out of Egypt from a house of slavery. God brought you out of here with a powerful hand. So don't eat any raised bread. You are leaving in the spring month of Abib. When God brings you into the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he promised to your fathers to give you, a land lavish with milk and honey, you are to observe this service during this month. You are to eat unraised bread for seven days. On the seventh day, there is a festival celebration to God, and only unraised bread is to be eaten for seven days. What is to be eaten? I just wanted to make sure I knew. Do you know? Do you know what it is? Good job. High five. You're killing it today. High five. Good job. There is not to be a trace of anything fermented, no yeast anywhere. Tell your child on that day, this is because of what God did for me when I came out of Egypt. The day of observance will be like a sign on your hand, a memorial between your eyes, and the teaching of God in your mouth. It was with the powerful hands that God brought you out of Egypt. So follow these instructions at the set time, year after year after year. Like a sign on your hand, a memorial between your eyes, and the teaching of God in your mouth. There are a couple times in scripture where something, some kind of command like this um, is being said. This is the same language as the Shema, which is the Hebrew people's like ultimate passage to memorize. Like a sign on your hand, a memorial between your eyes, and the teaching of God in your mouth. Remember this day and remember me. It's a memorial party. Oftentimes, I read the Bible, and I'm confused about why there are so many rules, especially in the Old Testament. It seems like there are restrictions and precise details on just about everything, especially food laws. But when I reframe my perspective with what I believe to be true, with hanging out with God, with spending time with God, and believing that God says that I am very good, then I reframe my questions from, why did they do this in a judgmental tone? to how does this help me remember God's character? It's a memorial. Why do we have memorials? Any ideas? Any thoughts? To remember. 
yep, that's about it. Good job. <laughs> we have memorials to remember what happened. Um, one of my dearest memorials um, is a necklace that I have from my brother's partner. Her name is Leah. I've got a picture of it right here. It's a white necklace. Um, she was one of my favorite people on earth. She and my brother were together for a really long time, and she passed away from breast cancer several years ago. And at her memorial, I collected these shells and this necklace. My brother made this box. Um, he's a really good word woodworker, and I have this box on my desk at home. And every time I see this box, I remember her, and I remember the goodness about her, and I remember her smile, her laugh, and everything that came with her. We have cemeteries as memorials. We have crosses on the roads. And there are examples of remembrance. And something as simple as this unleavened bread can be a memorial to God and where we've been with him together. Um, I, <laughs> as you can tell, I tried to make this. I have a couple of pictures of my attempts of making this. Um, I made it really early in the morning. This only takes flour and water, okay? Right? Yep, I'm not super great at baking. <laughs> And um, I didn't put flour on my hands while I was kneading the dough, so I got real sticky. You're supposed to make this in like 18 minutes or something like that. That did not happen for me. I almost set my apartment on fire, by the way. Um, it was really good. So matzah, this is what it looks like. And you're supposed to roll it really, really thin. It actually, you produce a lot more when you roll it really thin. And it cooks really well. It doesn't taste too bad. So that was my attempt. The end. <laughs> All right, um, memorials, okay? I think that this is a great sign. This festival of unleavened bread, this is what the Hebrew people, what Jewish people celebrate every single spring. For seven days, they take all the yeast out of their house. They give it to somebody else, and they eat this, and they commemorate, they memorialize what God did for them um, in Egypt. One of my favorite things, um, favorite quotes from Abraham Joshua Heschel uh, is this. Faith is real only when it is not one-sided but reciprocal. Man can rely on God if God can rely on man. To have faith means to justify God's faith in man. Faith is awareness of divine mutuality and companionship, a form of communion between God and man. Now I wanna say, if you're thinking, hey Emily, God doesn't rely on me and God doesn't need me, I would agree with that. But I think the opposite side, a way to reframe this, is to say that, yes, I think that God wants us and he wants to be with us. That's why he rescued the Israelite people in the first place. Abraham Joshua Heschel says, to have faith means to justify God's faith in man, an awareness of divine mutuality and companionship, a form of communion between God and man. And so when we experience, when we learn about these festivals, these parties in the Old Testament, that's what it is, a communion between God and man, especially this unleavened bread festival. I wanna ask you, what would it look like for you in the springtime seven days, when you're doing spring cleaning, whatever, what would it look like if you cleaned out something? If you took some time every day to remember this, 
Remember why um, Jewish communities celebrate this. What if you took some time to do this yourself? If you've been a part of Discovery for a bit, or any faith community really, I have so much flour on me, you might notice that we practice something called communion each week at some point during our gathering. And this is where we take a few minutes to reflect on God and what relationship with him means. And we do this because of a few passages in the Bible, one of them being Luke 22. If you're interested in learning more about this, um, you can please check it out. So this is the premise of the story. Jesus and his friends are hanging out with each other. They're spending some time together and the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover, they're coming up. There's, it's happening like right now when they're hanging out. This is a big deal for the Jewish community and it's what we've been talking about today. Every spring this party comes up and people spend a whole week getting ready for it. They get all yeast out of their house and they prepare to remember not only the time when God brought them out of Egypt, but the time when God showed his power and legitimacy to the Egyptians and the Hebrew people themselves. So Jesus asks his friends to get ready for this party with him. They find a house to eat the meal at and there are tables, chairs, recliners in this place and there's food for everyone and they're celebrating God together. At one point during the meal, Jesus took this matzah bread, he broke it, <laughs> gave thanks, and shared this bread with his friends. I'm not gonna break it anymore because that's not gonna happen. He says, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he raised a glass of wine, thanked God for it, and said, take this and divide it among you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you. And this is so crazy because during the festival of unleavened bread, Jesus is stepping into the story that these people know by heart. They've been celebrating it for decades, for generations, and they know the context of it. And he's saying, I am the actual bread. If you picture yourself in the story, Jesus and his friends are celebrating a festival that have been around for years. But he's saying, hey, this is not something that is just a story. This is not something that your grandparents told you and it's just a whatever thing. This is real life and this is me. This is what you should remember me with. It can take a lot to get my mind to be still and focus on one specific action, like eating this weird feeling wafer and drinking this juice um, without spilling it on my shirt. That's really hard for me to, to not focus on when we do communion. And yes, communion is a time where we reflect on our week and how we're doing with God, but the time that we normally have to eat the wafer and drink this juice and be quiet and get over the anxiety that someone's looking at us weird or maybe silently judging us, it's not enough time to really dig into the meaning of this wafer and this cup of juice. So how about today we do a reframe? I want to invite Dave up, and as he comes up, let's talk about this. What if today, you and I practice a skill that we are learning from the parties and the festivals of the Old Testament, and as we participate in communion, we remember the origin story behind the unleavened bread. And although we might not be able to experience exactly what the Hebrew people did as they were enslaved by a world power, we can empathize and affirm and memorialize the power of God 
and the moments where he used that power to draw his people closer to himself in a relationship of reciprocity. So um, you should have picked up one of these cups when you came into the room. Uh, you can open them now if you'd like. And I have two questions for you as we receive communion together. For those of you who are followers of Christ, I want to ask you to fill in this blank during our time of communion together, either for yourself or for your family. This is because of God, what God did for me when. I'll say that again. This is because of what God did for me when. This is how God asks us to share the story of him. For those of you who are not followers of Christ, I want you to fill in this blank. This is because of the moment that prompted me to search for God when. Because that's a beautiful thing too. This is because of the moment that prompted me to search for God when. Let's fill in those blanks today. Whether you're a believer or not, you are welcome to receive these elements together. And let's do that now. Faith is only real when it is not one-sided, but reciprocal. Faith is awareness of divine mutuality and companionship, a form of communion between God and man. A God who says, you are very good. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercies that are new every morning. I thank you for this festival of unleavened bread where we learn about you and we learn about your power and we learn about how you love us so deeply that you made a way for the Hebrew people out of Egypt. And for these people who didn't have much time to collect their things or uh, food prep, when they had this matzah bread, they're able to remember you as they run. And God, as we learn about the festival of unleavened bread, may we see this matzah bread, may we see communion each and every week, and may we celebrate it as what you have done for us because you love us and you care for us. And God, may our relationship with you become a reciprocal one. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for this space. It's in your name we pray. Amen.